Hi, I'm Jamie, and I am the creator of One World, Your Story, where we bring people together. And right now, we need this more than ever. The murder of George Floyd, the latest of countless Black Americans to be murdered at the hands of police in America, has set off a chain reaction across the United States. People are angry, people are hurt, and rightfully so. We cannot stand by and allow this to continue any longer. It's time to use our voices and bring this conversation out into the open for good. So join us for this episode of The Floyd Files. Because at this point, like I'm saying, for white people, it's one thing to be like, oh, well, I am racist. Now what? All right. Okay. okay. We're so we're now streaming live. I'm gonna get it open on Facebook so I can see if any questions come in live um, while we are chatting. So give me just a second, Jonas. Hang on. Okay. Yes. While we're getting it loaded, um, you know, if you want, you can introduce yourself. Um, I'll start. My name is Jamie, um, as everyone knows, I'm sure that's watching this, the creator of One World, Your Story, and here tonight for another episode of The Floyd, blah, 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 if I can speak, another episode of The Floyd Files. Um, and if you all remember last week, I spoke with Sam Abraham, and tonight I'm here with his son, Jonas. Jonas and Abraham, that's my name. Hi. Jonas Abraham, yeah. So let's get a little introduction. I could do it. So I could talk about how you're a musician or you work in the marijuana industry or we're in California, but I think you could do it better than I could. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, have been doing music most of my life. And then recently I came home from living in LA for a while and decided to enter the legal marijuana industry because besides music, that's the other thing I like. When did you, how old were you when you went to California, by the way? Uh, 31, maybe? 32, maybe? Okay, so not that long. 2014, we're in 31, just doing some math. Maybe not that long ago. No, like six, seven, six years ago. Okay. And how long have you been back in Colorado for? Two years, a little over two years. For two years, okay. Got it. Cool. I'm interested to hear about, okay, we got everything all set up now, by the way. So I'm totally focused on you, Jonas. Uh, Sorry about that. Mm. Um, Okay. So when you and I talked a couple of days ago, we were talking about, we actually got into some trans rights topics. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we get into any of that, I'm really curious, you know, when I was talking with your dad and your dad came here from Africa when mm-hmm. he was what in his 20s i think about 40 years ago yeah i think he was 18 when he left and you were born in colorado right yeah mm-hmm. so what oh, talk to me about that growing up as first generation american um mm-hmm. with your dad coming over here from africa yeah i think uh i have I mean, I don't think it's monolithic. I definitely don't. I think it's different for everyone. I, f- I feel like my dad uh, really didn't stress that much to me 
um, about being Eritrean. I think it was a lot more about we're in America now, you know, I think like, for instance, he got really good at English. I never really learned to Grinya, you know what I mean? I went back to Eritrea to, to speak and to learn, and I did learn. And I think the only thing I really came home with was like vulgarities. I remember that being an issue is that I just was really fluent and cussing. And then that was about it. And it just, it just seemed in general, like a lot of, even in Eritrea, it, would, it, it wasn't like they wanted to speak to Grinya with me, they wanted me to speak English and they spoke English English with me and their English got better even when I was home, you know? Um, my grandpa doesn't speak English. So, or my grandma who has passed, but at the time she was alive. So we never really had a conversation, I guess, but without somebody else in the room to translate. So if I were to think about anything I may have missed out on was being able to talk with my grandparents without my parents in the room. <laughs> I never had that luxury, you know? That's uh, so but, interesting. I never had that yeah, experience. I mean, this is kind of, I'm just kind of realizing this right now, if I were to think about what maybe I lost in that process. But I mean, it's not for lack of trying. I just think that, I mean, and this is something I've said a lot of times. I mean, I think it behooves Eritrean Americans to be very fluent in English. I mean, it behooves us to be to fluent in Tigrinya too, but that's almost nearly for sentimental reasons. You know what I mean? This is an English dominant world. And I do feel like particularly adept at English, like more so than, I mean, I don't know, that sounds arrogant, but virtually anybody I know, I just feel able to articulate what I think and feel, you know, I don't struggle for that. And being an Eritrean American who's or an Eritrean who speaks really, really good English, I think is good for all Eritreans, right? In theory. Why? I, think. I mean, because, I could assume why, but I'd love to know from you. I mean, to me, it seems like we live in a world where that is the dominant language, you know? So to be able to navigate the dominant language, because English is definitely like a classist racist system in and of itself. The way that English is sort of designed is to fool the poor people. And there's so many like rules written into English that are almost just simply as gatekeepers. Rules about English that uh, most other languages don't have nearly the amount of intricacies. Intricacies for the sake of separating the commoner from the from the rich, you know? And I definitely I mean, there are, about it. it. If I feel like if you don't grow up with it as your mother tongue. There are just, I mean, there are things that just don't make sense. There is no rhyme or reason for it. It just is. And you just yeah. kind of have to know. Um, I'm trying to learn Spanish. I'm trying to learn Spanish. I mean, I've tried to dedicate to myself to it. And it's like. Oh, podemos practicar si quieres. We can practice if you want. I love speaking yeah, Spanish. Yeah, now, now probably is not the time. <laughs> no, now is not the time. But, but yeah, I, I would like help with that. Because that was, I think that's the thing I've run into with that is that I don't really have. I mean, anyone I know speaks fluish. Spanish, fluent Spanish doesn't necessarily want to be my tutor, you know, or like- <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm fluent. I'm still learning, but we can practice. That's, that's probably the best way to, I mean, that's what I'm saying. No fluent speakers want to speak with somebody who's struggling to learn, you know, well, and, and make it their charity kids. We could try. So. Um, <laughs> okay, so I want to kind of 
go back to, I mean, we'll still talk about speaking English and speaking really good English. Um, mm -hmm. It's not something that, it's funny because my father, so my aunt, his older sister was born in Russia. Mm -hmm. My dad, I guess, is first generation. So in a way, like I kind of felt kind of first generation on my grandfather or my father's side right but my grandparents same thing it was okay. like very much and we're holocaust they were holocaust survivors so mm. it's very much like you're in the u.s now you're american speak english that the language didn't get passed on and i'm sad about that but there was never a feeling for me to like speak great english and i'm curious and and by the way i will fully admit that this could be my own biases coming in here but is there any feeling about wanting to speak amazing English, have an awesome vocabulary to show a different image or reputation of Eritreans? No, no, I just liked reading. I remember okay. very young just gravitating to reading and writing and like, I think it's just generally passion. Like, you know, if I see a word, I don't know, I look it up, I'll take, stop, I'll take the time, you know what I mean? Especially with it on my cell phone, but even before that, you know, sure. a dictionary and stuff like that, I just, now, I don't know. I mean, I think like when okay, one thing I think about is like my dad telling me my grandpa is an incredible orator in uh, orator, you know what I'm saying, in Kvinya, and he's a great speaker. So I think, I mean, I it sounds in your DNA, it baby. a little arrogant coming from myself, but I'm good at speaking, you know. Other, Are. I noticed that saying? about it's you like, the first time we spoke. Weird to qualify oneself, but it's just objective here, you know what I mean? It's like. So I think I think it's okay to it talk being, about our gifts and skills a little bit more. It's yeah, okay. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to be honest about it. But, but <laughs> regardless, I think he is. I think so that 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 trait was passed down, but not the language, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's still in you to be a great orator. Um, right. Okay. So let's switch gears a lot, Jonas. Okay. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm coming in with like some things that I want to ask you just from conversations with your dad. And yeah, yeah, you should ask me. So he mentioned, you know, for him, he's like almost having to learn as an older man, what it means to be a black man in America. Like what, what the history of racism and all this stuff, because he said he wasn't born with all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but you were born in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd love to know, like, have you felt any differences between like his experience and yours or, or do you, does it resonate what I'm saying, what he was saying? Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense that he would feel that way. I mean, because I think, I don't know, in my experience growing up as an African child, there's a definitive difference between Africans and African-Americans. There just is, you know, and growing up, I think. Well, can you dig into that difference a little bit? Yeah, I think I think it's pretty much. I mean, for lack of a better term, the history of having been an African who traveled here 400 years ago and what you endured for 400 years and how that would travel through your bloodlines and how that would be a different situation and a whole different set of like societal sophistication. You know what I mean? To where it's like. An African-American born in America is passed down a tradition, regardless of if it's one, it's not a monolithic tradition, but it's an American tradition. There's not a singular American tradition passed down to my father. 
Yeah, that's so true. I didn't think about it in that way. I don't really like the it's culture. Yeah, of what happened here. You know, your grandpa was here. He your you know, like like that's but one of the things about I think that that where it gets complicated and tricky is that I remember once talking to a therapist who uh, uh, she was a woman, she was a, a, a black woman, and she was talking about how this thing in a, this book, which I didn't read, but PTSD, but post-traumatic slavery disorder, which is something that is genetically passed down in the DNA of African-Americans. You know what I mean? Like tra- trauma literally changes your DNA. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's something something, a, a pain I cannot prescribe to. I can't say I've experienced, it's not my, there's our own, my own traditions in my own country with its own colonialist issues and, and infighting amongst African countries, but it's not, there's something particularly unique about African-Americans and what they've gone through in the modern world. That is such an inhumane plight that the closest comparison would be Native Americans. But the only difference is one is occupied territory and one is not only are they living in occupied territory, their bodies are occupied territory, Hmm. you know? And so like, there's a degree of like, there is no nation for African-Americans other than America. So to, Hmm. to, to definitively have it be like well understood that even if you aren't currently legally some form of second-class citizen, but now we're in the subtleties. Now we're just waging war with subtleties and, and frankly, institutional biases that cause in a different, more maybe sophisticated way, an equal amount of trauma in, in traditions for African-Americans, whether it be like the 13th Amendment and, you know, the prison school pipeline and so many things like that, or slavery. I mean, it's this country has has made it very clear to African Americans that it does not value them in the same way it values white Americans. And so I think Africans, a lot of times, the one strength you may have is that you know where you're from. You can go generations back. That's one thing that African Americans have been divorced from preceding slavery. Nobody knows what country they came from, you know? So I think that there's a lot of a particular kind of pain I I can't understand, but I haven't experienced. (laughs) That's almost the exact same statement that your dad made. He's like, I can understand it. Mm -hmm. I can relate to it, but Mm -hmm. it's not my experience. No, Um, I'm I'm not like, I, I don't pretend... But I think also one thing is being a first generation African-American, it's like all the, my, my peers, they, they're, they're black. Because one of the definitive things about a white privilege or definite is like, what do the cops see? Well, that's what I was gonna ask you. It's like, you know in your heart. That's huh? what I was gonna say. It's like, there, you know in your heart. I mean, and listen to how you described it. There's two very different experiences, two completely different cultures, you know, mm-hmm. backgrounds, whatever you wanna call it, yet, because we want to define race simply by the color of your skin, 
and not actually anything about who you actually are or where you come from, you automatically get grouped in, right? So I don't know. Do you? Has dealt with in a way that also being informed you. Like one of the things I think is like, um, you know, like the problem with blackness being monolithic is that what happens, like the way that this gets addressed, I think is things like reparations. Like as, as, a, as, a, as a group of people, African-Americans are owed literally trillions of dollars, literally trillions. I mean, I don't disagree. I also don't think that you can put a price tag on I trauma. Bob Johnson like that. put a price on it and he came up with a number. Bob Johnson, he was like this. He was the guy who started BT. He's one of the few black billionaires. He, but do you think that money at the end? Of, OK, I don't disagree. I that that like, yeah, part of it. Certainly. They're owed money straight up. Fourteen trillion dollars. I mean, they are. There's a lot of labor that went in that was unpaid. I mean, flat out owed money. But I'm just I, saying, I, mean, I don't like think modern, that emotional you know, damage like, you can pay of, for. It's like 400, like think about, for instance, the other like great slaves of history are the Jews. You know, you talk about that, like their experience, the Jewish experiences 5,000 years ago or 5,000 or 40,000 year bondage, you know, Egypt, Moses, the whole nine, you know, like that was thousands of years ago and they're still talking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's still well because we're there. still oppressed. I mean, if I had to wear my identity on my skin mm -hmm. in the same way, mm -hmm. it'd probably be a whole world of shit I'd have to deal with that I don't just because I don't have to wear it on my skin. You know, mm -hmm. that's why they're yeah. still talking about it. That's why we're still talking about Black Lives Matter for the same reason. Mm -hmm. Doesn't go away. How? How? Okay, so then let's. Do you think it's possible that? we come out of this or, or what, what could that yeah, even look but it's like? Not, I mean, but the, yeah, like debts have to be paid. That's how you come out of it. You know, you can't claim bankruptcy on blood. There's no chapter 11 for blood in the soil. Hmm. So it's $14 trillion. It sounds like a good amount. $333,000 to every African-American in this country. That, that sounds about right. Considering the fact that the military budget is three or four times that every fucking year. Seems pretty doable. That's how you we sound. You it's sound hard. really. Um, you have a lot of emotions around this. I mean, part of the thing that's most uh, infuriating about racism is that, like, part of whiteness is it's a it's a it's a concept. It's a figment. It's created. You know, whiteness and blackness. But if you're really in the business of tearing it down, you know, which I think. Frankly, white people sound like they are. It needs to be made into practical terms. It's not just like fucking memes and like and and and, and Facebook comment wars and shit like that. Like they literally have to go collectively as a nation has to say, yes, we would like to pay this debt. Show that. You know, because one of the things I think is people expect like, you're still complaining about slavery that was 150 years ago. And it's like, yeah, you have owed me this money for 150 years. The fuck are you talking about? What is the interest on that? 
that's $14 trillion. You know what I mean? I mean, it's interesting that you talk about it in that way because I I said a couple minutes ago, I don't think money can buy happiness, but here's what I think it could do actually. Mm -hmm. Because I've talked about this a lot too. Okay, if we're truly going to abolish white supremacy, which God would be great. That means that white people have to be willing to give up privilege, truly. So let's say we're going to pay debts. Maybe that means everyone has to take a little bit out of their pocket, right? Really give up some privilege. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. It's like, if people are really down, then that's what it is. It's not just like... But so, okay, maybe that happens, right? Debts are paid. Then what that also does is puts people on a playing field where like maybe more black owned businesses can be open and the money can stay within the community because I was not only are like, is money owed, but money keeps leaving. It's a leaking bucket because I mean, do you know killer Mike? Mm -hmm. Okay. So he did this thing where he was trying to live black for three days. Mm -hmm. I saw that. I watched it was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And the money leaves less than 24. You cannot keep it within the community for Think about the GDP more than 24 of hours. African-Americans. Think about what they're responsible for. Sports. The majority, the three big sports, the biggest sports, two biggest sports. Let's say the two big basketball and football. The lifeblood of these sports. And one of the things that's really complicated about that is, is I don't know if you ever heard of this guy named Jimmy the Greek. Jimmy the Greek was the kind of this Back in the 70s, he was a, this famous sports sort of analyst, predictor guy. And he made this comment, and it's true, but it got him destroyed and ended his career, that the reason African-Americans dominate sports is because of slavery, because of the genetic, literal eugenics experiment of slavery, creating the biggest, fastest, strongest humans they could. You know, like literally in, in the process of slavery, there was breeding done by slave masters where they literally just genetically picked the strongest and fastest and had to breed constantly and over and over. So that's why there's a literal eugenics experiment we see in front of our face. But he got lost his job for it because it was the 70s. Nobody wants to talk about the facts. But that is one of the cruel ironies that now we're it's it's that has manifested billions of dollars a year. Why the fuck? Don't the black people own at this point things like LeBron James, like Michael Jordan owns a team now. He's a team owner owner. But frankly, I would like to see 20 years from now, 50 years from now, that the only people who own NBA teams, you know, like play for them or or well, generate well, like, think about it like LeBron James is considered to be one of the he's probably the biggest athlete in the world, you know? And I think more than anything is it's like he he knows his value. And I remember with the whole Cleveland thing and the Miami thing and the, the people were burning his jerseys and stuff. And the reality is that he's a singular economic shift for all of African-Americans if he possesses ownership, a singular one. Possession of ownership, like in a, you know, upward mobility, a singularity. Jay-Z, things like that. This is like the few places of ownership, but these genuinely create billions of dollars a year. Music in this rap music. I was about to bring up music. Yeah. So I mean, what do you think? I mean, it's that I feel like it's this idea, like so much of like the American culture lies within sports and music. And like you're saying, like the I think it was the yoga teacher. I can't remember who was like like, how can we how can we take the the culture? and say, fuck the people. White supremacy, 
I mean, it's part of it doesn't make any bullshit. The intricacies of it, like slavery was just modified, like the 13th Amendment and things like that. But the premise, like, that we were talking about, I think on the phone was, was like, why does the world have to be vampiric? Why does it have to be like, like short, fat, angry, ugly white men run the world because they know how to manipulate souls and minds? Why is that like, that's that's not necessarily like, that's the way it is, that's the way it's always been, you know, mind over matter, you know, brain over brawn or, or whatever particular like perceptions of the way the world is that would force us to go the best way to go about things is exploiting others like the premise of an economy is almost entirely based on exploitation so that's the thing it's like exploitation has to cease where it's like if somebody is solely or or any group is solely responsible for the generation of the income responsible to make this thing great they should be in possession of it that's a quick way to go you know what i mean like South Africa literally went and took land from white people that that had taken it before. And I'm not saying that that should happen, but I do believe that like the nature of contracts in music and sports maybe don't really lead to ownership for a reason. Uh, of course, I mean, it's to perpetuate the system that, that yeah, we live in, so of course. People are really down with bringing the system down as it is or they're just lip service because they actually benefit from it. Well, right, and that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. If it's truly gonna change, we have to be willing to give up privilege. We meaning white people and I mean, we'll see. And power, right? It's both. Um, now you're talking about like exploitation of work and industry. I'm really curious to know about the marijuana industry. Um, yeah, I mean, I think- How does race play in there? And does it? Well, obviously there's not very many I think there may be one or two black owned dispensaries in all of Colorado, but I also think it's a thing about generational wealth. Wait, it's damn, is that true? Two black owned dispensaries? And there's more dispensaries than there are Starbucks, right? Yeah. Damn. Definitely not more than that. That's I mean, why the money can't stay in the community. I mean, holy shit. Okay, keep going. Sorry. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, like that I know of. But I think it's a thing about generational wealth. And it's also like, one of the things to consider is that there are people in prison to this day for marijuana charges. And generally they don't look like the guys I Like saw literally before. for life. It's crazy. Yeah, for life. Because the crime, because in, you know, they grandfather laws and, but I think you would just have to imagine that at that point when it became legal and the the governance was essentially like a bureaucracy and whoever was passing out permits was really running the show i mean there's a lot of palm greasing there's a lot of opportunity that exists and i think it's like that's when you start to talk about generational wealth and white privilege and being able to walk into a bank and get a loan or 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 the perception like you know there's all these different systemic places you would go to that could say, well, I could see how this wouldn't be very easy for an African-American to start because they would have to be ready right at that point. But also as it's like- Well, I feel like, does it go back to, okay, you know the whole thing, and they talk about this in 13, the movie, and, and um, yeah. about how like the difference between Coke and crack, 
Yeah. I mean, literally, it's the same yeah. shit, right? Yeah. Right. Institute. But it looks classy when you're doing blow as a white person, but yeah. you're a bum and like scum of the earth, basically, if you're smoking crack, right? Do you think that that idea of criminals and drug users and i mean if you look at the jails and the percentages of who's in there and who's painted out to be the drug users and the criminals do you think that that plays into why it's harder for the black community to have black owned marijuana i mean i don't know, I don't know what the fuck i mean like it, it it just it's it's sort of cultural it's like you who who knows what the guy passing out the loans at the bank thinks but he's generally not a black person with a nuanced take on black people so that's literally what we're talking about here. It's like the, I guess that's true, and it's like it's like white. the guys with the, the the fucking bank vault codes are white, and they don't. And and like, frankly, I don't know. I only white people I know with the nuanced take on black people are the ones who have been ensconced in black culture and surrounded by it and know several black people. You know, it's virtually impossible to not know black or to have a lot of black people in your life and not have a singular perception of them. So what we're talking about here is people in positions of power have been literally inundated with racist propaganda their whole lives. And so they're racist. And now people are coming to terms with their own racism every day. But I think, frankly, at the end of the day, you have a long-standing perception and demonization of black people everywhere you turn. And I think. Um, was it different in California versus Colorado? In terms of what? What you were just talking about. I'm, I'm, I, I definitely, in California was the only time I experienced open racism. <laughs> really? <laughs> that, yeah, I definitely, not that I, that I remember. A couple situations, like, I'll tell you a funny story. I told my dad this. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, I still can't believe it myself. I, one time I went to go to a friend's house. And it was, she was a white woman. And we were friends from music, you know, and I was just like, she was throwing a party. I don't know what it was. I went over to her house and she had a roommate who answered the door. And the roommate answered the door. She wasn't totally rude. She opened the door. It wasn't like who's coming to dinner, you know, but it was definitely sort of maybe a slight awkward vibe. Then I, she, I was like, it's, you know, is blankety blank here. And she's like, yeah. And she pointed to the other room and I went and go saw my friend. And then when I walked in, my friend was like, oh, did you meet my roommate? And I was like, yeah. Did she let you in? I was like, yeah. Was she mean or rude? And I was like, not especially. She's like, bro, she is the biggest racist. She has nigger tattooed on the inside of her lip. Like just, just that's so many layers. That's not hatred. I mean, that's hatred, but such devoted hatred. It's, it's, that's it. So I, so then I, I met this person and I saw after that, it was just like, I, you know, the inside of your lip is something you have to sew. She doesn't know if I know. I, I mean, I knew. And then that same person ended up later using that same terminology that the N word that, the roommate that I went to go see that I was friends with, those two people were the two people who, like white people, one of them literally had it um, on the inside of her mouth and one of them just said it.
But it both came out. Two of, white girls. Yeah, and that was the only real. And then other times, it's like, what do you do in that moment? Like, what did you do? And when, when it's fortunate for them because I'm awesome. I really. Think <laughs> yeah, like, you fucking are. Like, Whoa, you're 2018, <laughs> 2019, or whatever. I'd be like, you really are judging me off the color. I'm like, seriously? Like that sounds like a like it's like I you almost feel like they have some sort of, you know mental incapacity like it, it's an it's an illness you're like it's, it's like making fun of somebody with with a serious problem they you know like unfortunately people do that all the fucking time the only thing i can possibly relate to that is you know i've been in sales for a while i was in sales for a while and i used to have my nose double pierced my lip pierced my tongue pierced i had gauged ears and my hair was kind of pink and i was like sales meetings and my boss was like you know jamie you're gonna sell a lot more if you take all like get rid of all that stuff and i was like fuck that you know mm. i've come to learn how much privilege that is of me to even be able to do that right and still get the sales meetings but that's besides the point anyway i did take all that stuff out and i sold a lot more and i'm the exact same person people judge uh like so quick to judge mm. and when white privilege and white supremacy is like we literally breathe it in from the second we're born you don't even realize that you're doing it but we ha i mean i don't know how somebody at this point like you said 2020 isn't at least some somewhat aware like how could you hate black people that's so weird that's such a weird uh, thing to say or, or any group of people for that matter yeah. How can yeah. you hate gay I mean, people? I obviously, I don't. I don't hate any group of people, but I mean, one thing I'll say is, I know the existence of racism is against all races, but it does seem like a particularly, for whatever reason, it's been narrowed down to two races: <laughs> white people and black people. And it's like it, that's what we're talking about here. It's like literally Black Lives Matter because I think. In the process of white supremacy, it taught the rest of the world that blacks, that African Americans, are the only people without a nation of their own. You know, perceivable. Well, well, or, or have you heard the term? I'm sure you have. Um, Anti-blackness. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's like out of everybody, including black people. Exactly. That I mean, I think then that's why it literally yeah. is a white versus black yeah. thing. So anti-blackness has been taught to everyone all over the world. And there's something you, that's what we're talking about. Simultaneously, whilst enjoying the fruits of their labor. Like when somebody becomes singular in their greatness, like a Michael Jordan, they get divorced from blackness. That's like, I remember in the whole yeah, how does that? OJ Simpson. How does that like, happen? They're not black anymore, he's Michael Jordan. He's not black anymore, he's OJ Simpson. What? Like yeah. that's, that's real. That's how that people talk. That's what they say about LeBron James. He's not black anymore. It's LeBron James. What? No. And LeBron James has to remind me. I mean, I think. Well, it's, it's so interesting that you're bringing that up because there is something that happens with celebrity in general that you are not a person anymore. And, and they even talk about it. It's like I, you lose your humanity. People uh, uh, expect X, Y, Z thing of you. You are literally like a fake person, almost an idol. And so, or you can't be great and black, or you can't be singularly great and American. Like that's what we're talking about. Is that's the subtle psychology that we're talking about here? Is like, well, what about like Obama then, for example? Yes, I mean that's the thing. Is like, perceivably, a lot for a long time, African Americans, you know, 
were forced to either choose their blackness or celebrity. And then you have the thing about Obama is that it's supposed to be like some, some he's not representative of African-Americans as a whole. He's a singular entity, you know? And it's not like a thing that, I think that should be afforded every single black person. I was gonna say that goes for everybody, by the way. Yeah, but unfortunately, I think there's like we're talking about here, there's something unique about blackness that is like it just it needs to be addressed. I mean, like one of the 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 the, the things that I'm I'm not gonna allow is like this is what we're talking about black people right now. No, we're not gonna fucking change the subject, you know? And that's the thing I'm saying is like that immediately happens. But until debts are paid and until equality is manifested in literal, legitimate terms, institutionally, this is fucking lip service, you know? And so like protests in the street, they that's what they have to lead to. Well, how do you I feel about like everything? People come into terms with their own racism. Be like, oh yeah, huh, I am racism. Well, let me go back to it. Now what? Well, I, I was, I've heard some people say like, I feel like I should be really happy right now, but I'm kind of annoyed, you know, like this jaded, oh, like it took you till now to realize what, like what you're saying, like, oh shit, I am a racist. Like, how do you feel about the movement right now? Truly? I mean, I, do you even think it's a movement? I guess we could start yeah, with that. I mean, obviously, I think everything it's, uh, honestly, I'm happy with, with, with the seeming momentum, but like, I'm not gonna be satisfied until there's, until debts are paid. I'll believe it when the fucking check is cut. Till then it's fucking lip service. Period. Like, like that, like think about what let's think about the Holocaust. Germany had to pay its debts. They have to pay debts. And 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 the reality situation is even a country like Israel, it's not that foreign of a concept here where it's like. Something similar was done to African-Americans and even that the, the premise of like, okay, we're just going to build a land here over occupied territory by Palestinians or whatever, because 20,000 years ago, this belonged to the people of Israel. If that's what's gonna happen in that institution, that's a, and that happened and debts are being paid and you know, then it's not, it's not, and, and, and a large portion of it is like African-Americans realizing their GDP, their, their actual amount of money that they generate and taking ownership of it, you know? So, no, you have that, like, I get that, but also like coming from, you know, Holocaust survivors in my family, I don't know that debts were, I mean, I, I know my grandparents. Black people don't. I don't. I know African Americans don't have a country. They don't have Israel. They don't have a place to go home to. It, there's a lot of debate about Israel. I mean, there's I mean, a lot of layers of fucked up in this about that too. Yeah. And I don't know that it's right that that even is the case. So, 
I don't know that that's, but what I'm saying is that is an, I think the idea of, I think the idea of ownership period, the debts can never really be paid. Not Yeah. Yeah. So like, how do we truly move forward? Zero for African-Americans, nothing. Got, and there should be a nation. We're talking about a country. Israel is a profiting country that still gets subsidized by the United States to this day. Well, it's really interesting. I was talking to my family about this. At the end of the day, like we're white, we're Jewish, but we're white, you know. Um, and I feel like, and also like we're told over and over again that we're the chosen people. And my mom said like, there's a lot of guilt there. Like, oh, there's this pressure, but no, I just feel like there's a different mentality because of it. I'm not saying it's right. And to know that like, okay, the U.S. backs that up. Like why really, does it have anything to do with why? I, I don't know. I'm just saying, I've been thinking about that a, a lot, lot lately. With, I think one of the main things that like, I am talking about is the transfer of wealth that occurred during the Holocaust. Like, like this loading and stealing that Nazis engaged in, how much money was immediately taken. Like you can quantify it with a dollar amount. You can begin to look at that. And, and these are some of the ways that you begin to address debts. Right. Yeah, but those debts did not get paid back to the people. They I did mean, not. I'm not talking about the people like directly. I, I, I'm talking about institutionally them receiving Benefits because of it. Institutional benefits from an institution, a nation, and, and then receiving their own nation because of it. And this is this is a, a, a human travesty that occurred 70 years ago. So that's two slaveries ago. You know what I mean? Like 150 years. That's how long the debt has been paid. Theoretically. Yeah, actually, I guess you're right, because even something like a program like Birthright, which still exists to this day, I get a free trip to Israel to go to the homeland, whatever, like that doesn't exist. Even something like, you're right, okay, you're, I, I mean, totally I get what you're saying. Is, I think the, the part of the thing, too, is like... Sorry for being so dense. Like I, no, I, think that, that, I think that's a tremendous thing that people don't realize is like the divorcing of somebody from their ancestry. Yeah, it's huge is and and then you know, i mean like it goes deep look at white jesus even the premise of a white jesus yeah absolutely it's just a total act of supremacy dang you're making me th now i'm thinking like the whole culture of african americans of course it's so strong and important because when you take away anybody else's identity homeland nate whatever what the fuck else are you gonna do you Maybe have to create some jesus. sort of yeah. Wow. Fucked up shit. Some fucked up shit to where that's one another thing of white supremacy that white people have to come to terms with that Jesus wasn't fucking white. And Neither that, was and Beethoven. All, I just every learned every single monument and photo and painting of white Jesus put, put a, is is a fucking testament to white supremacy. It is. That's something white people got to come to terms with. I've learned actually. There's a lot of historical figures that aren't white that like would put powder on their face so that the pictures looked white. And then slowly over time, we just like Beethoven, for example. Beethoven was black? Yes. What? I just learned this. I didn't know that. I know. It was, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. It was Beethoven or Mozart. Now I have to double check this. Hang on. Hang on. 
Yeah, it was Beethoven. There's a theory on the internet floating around that Ludwig van Beethoven was black. Turns out the debate's been a lot around forever. Hmm. I never even heard that. The debate's been around forever? Okay, not forever, because wow. Beethoven hasn't been around forever, but... No, the debate has been around since Beethoven. I a while, never yeah. Heard that in my life. I hadn't either. But it's That's like... The, I mean, so, like, like if we about, believe it, it is about true. About being an icon of classical music and how icon and white classical music is literally of like a big pay on to white supremacy, and then really like the kingpin is a black guy. Like, come it's on, insane. Bro. That's what I'm talking about here. Like the war on black people is so deep and long standing and disgusting that it's like, yeah, and I think I'm particularly inflamed because I just get a small taste of it, maybe or a large taste of it. I don't know because one of the things I think about is it's not just. African Americans is the African diaspora. It's not just that that slaves were taken and the, the slave trade. It's also all of colonialism. It's the single act of plundering and raping and pillaging Africa, for to where at this point, institutionally, no nation can even rise up without being rampantly corrupt. Not, I mean, like it's it's so so sorted. So that's a lot of. I mean, like we're talking about a lot of fucked up shit that like. You know, like that, that whole thing with the yoga thing and my dad and that whole shit with the, um, I don't know if you heard about that. Of course the, I heard about it. I was a yeah. member of the studio. Come on. Oh, and I don't know. oh my oh, God, I just got I into know. the most horrendous, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't need to call that person out, mm -hmm. but a person in my life trying to tell me yesterday that the people, AKA all of the yoga instructors that came out about kindness need to get off their soapbox and not ruin people's lives. And I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me? Uh, so yeah, what were you going to say about it all? I mean, I think, remember when Malcolm X was talking about chickens coming home to roost? I think a lot of stuff is like white people, if they're forced to bear the brunt of the forefathers of their, like the sins, they're talking about the sins of the forefathers, you know, people like, theoretically this was system was supposed to work for them, but I don't think the world works that way. I think that the great forces of karma and of, and of, and of universal justice have shown you that actually all you're gonna do is make your great, 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 great grandkids like lose his yoga studio in a tide of hatred because of 400 fucking years of oppression. I mean, it's complicated, but I think the term occupied territory was thrown around. He has a studio on occupied territory because this is literally occupied territory in this really long narrative that now this guy is having to bear the brunt of. And that's in its own twisted way, the justice of the universe, unfortunately. Theoretically, this person's last name and their longstanding of whiteness should have been like served them well to the end. But no, in 2020, the chickens came home to fucking roost. Because you can't sow your seeds on, on in the blood with blood in the soil. You know, the fruit that you grow will poison you. And so I think like I, I unfortunately for him, he's caught up in a tidal wave in a moment, and, and a lot of it is like. As, as, as bad as I feel, frankly, in other countries, 
situations like this that, that get this politically inflamed, burst in a civil war and people die, right? Countries for, for skirmishes less blood soaked than this, entire nations have gone into huge civil war for hundreds of years and, and, and f- fuck it, making somebody lose their yoga studio in a, in, a, in a tide of negative publicity, like burned it down with them in it. I mean, I'm just talking well, about- I also think world. that the yoga studio had opportunity to say, to do something. They didn't, it didn't have to just shut down. I think that there's layers there, like you said, and it's not just the past 400 years. I mean, it's been, let's say 10 years of this particular ownership and talking about this stuff. There were a lot of opportunities to change it, but didn't think it was important enough. Now, there was no way to run from it and hide anymore, you know? Like, like I, I think, think even he's willing, I mean, I think even the ownership is willing to admit that they got in position due to the societal privileges they were afforded. Yeah. Well, that's even that's fucking bullshit. It there is. You go. So I don't go. disagree. I don't disagree. And I think part of it too is like, I the way I hear the story is like, motherfuckers don't want a piece of the pie, they want their own goddamn pie. No, why are you trying to off like like I think what people don't realize is like debt paying would be a lot of transfer of ownership of a lot of like particular industries like I, I don't I mean it's complicated. How do you how do you atone for this sin? In some ways you cannot pay for it. In some ways it can never be fixed. But I'm I'm assuring you that racial animus in this country doesn't even approach any sort of amicable solution until some fucking debts are paid. Because at this point, like I'm saying, for white people, it's one thing to be like, oh, well, I am racist. Now what? Is there a racism tax? Maybe there should be. I don't know. Think about- (laughs) Oh my God, what a concept. I don't know. But think about like one of the things, like think about all of the possibilities for black ownership that existed in this country that were systemically destroyed, like Black Wall Street in Tulsa. What would that be now? Like we could literally extrapolate that by how much they were making then and how much it's worth now. The city of Tulsa owns these family members this much money. Like this can be quantified. This is not okay, like- Okay, wait, wait, what is, what is Black Wall Street? You never heard Tulsa? of Black Wall Street? It was a city, it was a situation in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a thriving black neighborhood with its own insular economy that was extremely successful in 1921 or some, some period like that, very recently very recently. And because of the supposed accusation of a white woman saying that a black man hollered at her, or maybe maybe there was a rape accusation. I don't believe there was a rape accusation. I think it was just literally like he spoke to me. They went and burned the whole place down. Yeah, in America, less than a fucking hundred years ago. Let's look up when it was. I, I think it was 1921. I could be wrong. Regardless, just that many atrocity killed literally 350 African-Americans and destroyed every Black-owned business there. A wealth that can be quantified that the city of Tulsa owes. God, it's just like they were waiting for, like they were waiting for an excuse to destroy it. People don't know about that shit because like, but everybody knows about, you know, Iwo Jima 
or whatever, whatever, whatever cool thing America or, or, or D Day. Every fucking American knows about D Day, but they don't know about, you know, the D Day for African Americans in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1921. Yeah, that's and and I'm like, how many? How many other situations were there like that that we just never 1921, heard of? 1921, yes. So 99 years ago, marauding white people went and stole millions of dollars of African-American wealth that they fucking owe today in 2020. If they want black, because like one of the things you hear that really annoys me is it's like, when are they going to stop bitching about it? Get over it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it. I don't, I didn't own any slaves. There's there's no way to truly quantify the economic and financial value of white privilege. So just pay reparations. And then you can be like, all right, get absolved. Now what? Because it's it's a debt. Okay, so what if like you're an individual, right? Because I don't th- I don't think you're wrong. I hear you. I actually think it makes a lot of sense. And maybe mm-hmm. if we could do it institutionally, or I think okay. a lot of people are donating in different ways right now, but for some people, that's just not a possibility. What are other ways in which we can make an impact or do something more than posting a meme, right? Like, what do you think about a conversation like this, for example, Jonas? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that these, how do you feel having this conversation? Is it important? Do you feel like it's a waste of your time? Is it a good use of your time? No, good I use mean, of my I, time. I feel like if if you feel like you're learning something, I, I mean, I, I yeah, I'm. I, I haven't necessarily gotten to have a ton of nuanced conversations about this, so I just appreciate that opportunity, I guess, or just to talk about it. I because, frankly, it's not just like you could just talk about it at work or at the home or just all the fucking time. You know what I mean? So you got to kind of pick a time to discuss it. But like, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot and I do think about it. Yeah. It does kind of consume me. So yeah, it's, it's always beneficial to get that shit off your chest. Well, why don't you feel like you, why can't you talk about it whenever you want to talk about it? Um, and I don't think you're the only one that feels that way, by the way, they don't want to hear about how they owe African-Americans 14 trillion fucking dollars. They don't want to hear about the literal transfer of wealth and generational wealth that afforded them the opportunity to even own a dispensary. Well, do you think, you know, I I don't think that talking to the average person would make an impact on that necessarily. Hmm? I said, I don't know that talking to the average person would make an impact necessarily, but if that's what you, I mean, I guess if that's how you feel, how does that happen? How do we get that message to the people that really need to hear it? Are you doing that? Are you just sitting there frustrated? I mean, I think the conversation about reparations and stuff is is happening and, and it's being brought up. I mean, I think personally, um, again, you're asking me what I think should happen. I, I I'm not the arbiter of of justice and truth in the world, you know. I just, but my humble opinion is the way to solve racial animus in this country is a giant institutional statement and paying of debts something and i hear you and i don't think it's only your obligation to do something but i do think you know i was talking to this gal yesterday in a conversation like this Mm -hmm. and she was like she was like sending a message to the white community she also sent a message to the black community and to the community as a whole and basically it was like we all have a role to play in this right now 
even if you happen to be a part of the group that has been traumatized, right, for 400 years. Um, so I ask that because it's like, I, I hear you, I get it. I want to help make that change. Talking about it is one, how do we actually do it? And, and I don't want you to be frustrated anymore, Yona. So how do we take that frustration and use it to fuel something, right? Like, what do we do? What do you do? I think, um, I think right now is a time of great change. And, you know, like perceivably, what we're dealing with right now is sort of like a, a dying uh, of an old, old guard. I feel like Trump and, and the whole sort of GOP, a lot of the stuff to where maybe we are blessed with an extremely all Democrat government that, 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 that is so, I think part of it is just like time. Like some people got to die, bro. Here's like, because like one of the, the old white guys out is like, is like, I've had this conversation. One of the things that I've been most mystified by is like a lot of my friends have that are white have racist parents or racist grandparents that are immovable. They can see George Floyd. They can see, they can see the watch the video front to back and feel nothing. They were there for Jim Crow. They were chilling. I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily feel like And a lot of them are the people in power. I think when the people who are 35, 36 now grow to be of the age where they are of age of presidential candidates of, of you know, and, and it's just like, I do get really hopeful looking at the next generation and the one huh. coming up and, and even like, I don't know if you and I are in the same one, I'm 32, you're 37. Are we, yeah. are we, are you yeah. a millennial? I guess. I don't know. I never, I never figured that shit out. <laughs> I don't know. But like my generation, I was talking to these two guys yesterday, the 19 year old kids that organized protests in New York, 25,000 people came to one of their protests, 19 years old, spreading like the biggest message of love and hope and unity and like just human race. Right. And I'm like, oh, and, and, there's just no way that it won't keep getting better. I think with the generations that are coming up, and that's the thing that's we don't have this time is. for that shit. I want to make a change right now. I mean, I definitely think the next four years are going to be very pivotal. Because I mean, starting to, there was some serious voting starting today. I mean, so it begins. I know. I mean, and, and I, do you I think, think that the black community is going to get out? Do you think the black community is going to get out and vote? And I say that because there's been so much data and stats lately about who's voting and who's not and the every vote counts right like yeah yeah i think that there's still widespread voter suppression of course there the is it's disgusting your phone is voter suppression i think think about the states that don't want to have in-mail voting like it's of course it's border suppression coronavirus. you know what i mean we're literally so that's the kind of like the the people like a betsy devos somebody like that just has to like become extinct you know what i mean 
the people who are like in power in 2020 and say something like that, you know, that they don't want people to vote from a safe place. They're doing that for a reason because they're, they're terrified. Like Trump was an act of terror. Like voting him into office was an act of terror. It's like white supremacy's dying gasp, you know? And it's like, Right now, one Oof, of the that was a powerful. Sorry, that was a powerful statement that you just huh? made. That was white supremacy's dying gasp. Is Donald Trump? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like it's a lot of it is like just how that's how incredibly asinine the philosophy is that they would elect this as their the, as its as its representative. You know, this is how perverted it. You know, so but regardless of that, I, I think. Um. With the voting thing and all that stuff, like one of the things I've become increasingly aware of is just like what happened in the last election and Russian interference and the internet and all this weird stuff and buying votes. It's like, and and just the Biden Trump binary, you know what I mean? The whole thing is just like. I could see why even somebody like me just would not believe that voting has any bearing. Like the fact that, like one of the things I always thought was really interesting is I never saw a, a personal manifestation of like groundswell for Biden. Like I never met a person who was passionate. I, I countless Bernie Sanders people, like, you know what I mean? To, to, I can see them, I touch them there. Myself everywhere. being one of them, I felt I, the burn. I could give a shit about Biden, but I so, give a shit about him because I don't want Trump to win. Like that's what we were talking about. I think we talked about this before. It's like the this generation doesn't perceive a world that has to like run off of like war and stealing and scarcity and 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 sort of like this doggy dog thing to where like the lion's share of the United States money goes to our military. Period. You know what I mean? And that premise of socialism is a scary bad thing or, or communism and all this other stuff. I think ultimately there has got to be a better way to run the world, you know? Like, and the sea change that occurs, I, I don't know. I mean, like with youthful vigor and stuff is it's like, Old men want to keep what they have, you know? Young people don't have shit. And that transfer of wealth to where that's what we're dealing with right now occurred on our watch. Like this 1%, 99% wealth, that's the baby boomer generation. Literally on our watch, they looted our coffers. And we're, we're now a generation born in debt out of coming out of college. We'll never own a home. We'll never have all this thing like within our like with this used to be the most prosperous place in the country you know what i mean like like the the all these weird premises that people just act like that's the way they are like corporate greed like i don't think it has to be that way you know and i don't think i frankly like somebody like bernie sanders was unelectable because the people who is perceived as like the voters, which is like still a class, a generation older than us. They just, 
they cannot wrap their head around the idea of something like universal basic income or the idea that you don't have to work or die or all these premises like that might just be a, a perception and resource adjustment and the way things are done in a capitalist economy like these. They, but younger people can maybe wrap their heads around it. You know, like that's why the term socialist democracy, I think, or social socialist Democrat or, you know, all these, it's like just trying to create new ways to hopefully wrap your brain around the idea that it's not like a dog eat dog world and, and that like raping the earth, all of these things. It's just like all in the last 50 or 60 years, hundred years, you know what I mean? From the industrial revolution to, to now it's, that's, that's, that's the way the world is right now, but that it could change. There could be another revolution. A better one. I hope it does change. Yeah. I hope this is the revolution. I really do. Yeah. And I think that I think you're right. It was almost it was too extreme, unfortunately. I, I don't think it was extreme. Um, but but hey, it was what it was. Um you know, it's uh, unfortunately, Jonas, I'm gonna wrap it up here. Um, but I feel like we could have probably five more sessions on different things. Mm -hmm. um is there anything else that you well the first thing i want to do before you have an opportunity to say anything like this is um as much as these conversations are for people that are listening and so that they learn and get to hear us uh, selfishly i love having these conversations because i learn something every time mm -hmm. i love hearing people's perspectives mm -hmm. um but i also want to learn if there's anything i can do better uh, or be better at so is there anything that you think, oh, Jamie, you shouldn't have said that or that, that it would be important for me to learn or something that I had said in this conversation? I feel like everything, I definitely didn't pull any punches. So I definitely think as they were happening, I was saying what I felt, but um, obviously you're, you're, you're trying, you're doing it. You're, you're, this is work, this is the work. You're doing work. That's more than a lot of, I certainly, with all of this, I've never, nobody's like been like, I mean, a couple friends have reached out, wanted to talk, you know, to, which was nice. Um, but I think what you're doing, having these conversations and, Seeking out knowledge, I don't know. I mean, it's just, this is work. It's like part of work is like, you have to do it for the joy of the work, not because you know what the result will be. So this Absolutely. is work though. I mean, I, I think it's it's cool you're doing this because clearly this matters to you, you know? People matter to me, Jonas, they always have. Um, and it matters to me that people know that we're all just people in a human race at the end of the day. To me, it doesn't feel like work. This gives me joy. And I really hope it doesn't feel like work for you too. I really hope it does give you a platform to express and talk about it and share and help educate people, be the great order <laughs> that was passed down well, to you. I mean, I guess So for me, I just really thought it was like, I don't know. That's where I'm at right now. It's just the reparations thing. That's just, I, I guess that's all I can think about. But I guess part of it is like, 
I don't really have a ton of answers. That's why I take long gaps. And it's like, sometimes I'm sitting here talking. I'm like, wow, this is so deep. This is so big. This is so heavy. I couldn't possibly encapsulate what I, with, with the amount of time we have, I guess. Yeah, there's literally no way. Mm-hmm. And it, I think sometimes it feels so deep and so heavy. That's when it's like, what do we even do? Or I know this has to happen, but I think that the more we talk about it and bring it out into the open, the less deep and heavy it's going to feel. We're going to be able to do something. I don't know. I just, that's how I feel. More mm-hmm. like we release it, deal with it. You yeah. know, you can't deal with a problem unless you admit you have one. Um, like, I mean, I think about the it. conversations, I think this is good. I think that's the stage we're in. You know, and and the answers will reveal themselves by the conversations. For sure. Absolutely. Well, um, Jonas, is there anything else that you want to say? Any message that you want to leave for people that might be listening to this or anything else that you want to share about your lived experience growing up as you in America? No, no, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) Can't really think anything. No. No parting words? Um, well, I mean, I think a large part of this, this whole racism situation right now is I, a lot of times I'm just really tired and I think wounded. And I think like, there's a generation, I think that, that has to come to terms with the fact that like this could change. You know, there's a lot of people who have who've been inundated, like this is how it's going to be. And I don't think that, I genuinely believe that whenever somebody says this is just the way things are and they will always, and will always be, that has never been true about anything. So this can change and this can be solved and it's not intractable. You know what I mean? It's just. I love that. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. You're not, we're not born any one way of being. I mean, maybe there's like some things, but we get to choose every day, every moment. Who am I going to be? Who am I going to show up as? And of Mm -hmm. course that also means that the things around us can change too, because we're the ones creating them. I love that. And I'm so glad you ended on that note because I was going to ask you, it was an intense conversation and I appreciate the honesty and the rawness. That's what I, I want always. But I was going to ask if there was some message of hope or positivity or something beautiful that you've seen in the last month that you wanted to share. Um, that's, I mean, that's definitely it. Is I just. Yep. It can. Change is possible. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I love it. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One World Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed hearing this story and you wish to hear more, Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. And of course, follow us on Instagram at One World Your Story. From all of us here at the One World Your Story podcast, we are sending you so much joy and love. Have a wonderful rest of your day.